Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles there in uh, Genesis 35, we are picking up in our study. And uh, the last three messages that we've had in this, I think, I think all of them have been important, but I think vital for us even today. Because a lot of us are going through different trials. Um, some are known, some are unknown. And that's a, it's difficult. This life is difficult. And uh, you may be not necessarily feeling like you're going through a, a trial, but maybe you act, feel like an all-out assault, an all-out attack on you, on your family. Uh, regardless, we're, we've got a lot of people dealing with a lot of things and it has to do with family, it has to do with friends, it has to do with foes, it has to do with all kinds of stuff. Uh, but here are the things that we saw in the last three messages, and so I just want to remind you of those before we move on. The first, point was, the first one was always be ready for the destroyer after the dedication. Just remember that. Let's always keep that in our minds that there's no fear that we should have in being dedicated to the Lord or even upping our dedication to God. Uh, but we need to be sober and vigilant, as First Peter tells us to be, because the adversary, the devil, is not going to sit back and, and think how devoted we are, so he's just going to leave us alone. He is seeking whom he may devour. And so we need to be ready for the destroyer after the dedication. And how we're ready is we cling closer to the Lord, we cling closer to the, to the Word of God, and, and be even more devoted to uh, the cause that we have uh, dedicated ourselves to. And so number two was never be willing to compromise the things of God for the things of this world. Never be willing to compromise the things of God for the things of this world. Can you imagine how insane it is to have something of eternal value and say, I'm going to trade that now for something that is only temporal and that will go away one day. But as insane as that sounds to say you have this priceless, eternal, amazing gift and blessing, and I'm going to, I'm going to compromise or exchange that for this limited thing now, this tainted, this... This earthen thing, as insane as that is, it's still the practice of so many even professing believers today. We are so willing to give up the most important, the, mo the greatest, the very best that this life has to offer. You know, because the perversion of so many different groups and doctrines today, you got the health and wealth message, you got the name and claim, you got all these things that have perverted the truth of God's word and when we look at something like the abundant life that Jesus said and he promised, it's been, again, skewed and perverted by those who would say, you know, well, you've got to have this kind of faith. You've got you to live this kind of life. You've got to not do this. You've got to, and, and, and it's completely false. The abundant life is found in the spiritual life. It's found in the life hid in Christ Jesus. That life is also a life that often faces affliction often faces persecution, often goes through suffering, but it's an abundant life filled with the greatest spiritual blessings that a human can experience on this side of heaven. And so when we consider giving up the things of this world, many times we hold so tightly, so I just don't know if I can, I, I, and we're missing these great blessings, this abundant life, this great life for the eternal things of God. And so let's remember, let's never be willing. When, when, the th when God and the things of God are, are esteemed as high as they possibly can in our life, I don't think that we'll compromise those things. But when we diminish them by esteeming the worldly things, 
that's when we begin to compromise. And we've got to remember that. Man, I, I just don't want to stand before the, for the, for, before the God of all creation. Uh, we sang the songs this morning. I don't want to stand before him one day and, and, and know that he purchased this eternity with his very own blood and stand before him and say, but God, I spent a lot of my time doing things that were worthwhile. And him saying, but you never reached for the things that were eternal. You gave up reaching for the eternal things to put your hands on the temporal things right now. You missed so much. I don't want to stand for him. I don't want to compromise. And so let's never be willing to compromise in that way. And the third thing was never fight evil with evil. We realize that uh, Jesus Christ, our perfect example, uh, lived that life. He was spat on. He was, his beard was pulled out. He was, he was put a crown of thorns. He was mocked. He was, he was ridiculed. He was abandoned. He was forsaken. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was crucified. And not one time did he strike back. Not one time. I mean, he's the power of God. He's the same God that rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Same God that opened up the earth and swallowed up uh, those who had dis disregarded and disobeyed and defiled. Same God. Same God who had all power, who could, who could speak the word. And even in the garden, we saw that power when he said, I'm he. And, and the guard fell over, right? Boom, just that power of his vo voice. That same God, same power could have just said, die or he could have said anything and they could have be they could be struck with the same plague that that he sent to egypt uh, of boils and, and and whatever i mean he he had all power and yet he didn't fight back and so our example and our lord is to never repay evil for evil on the contrary we're supposed to repay evil with good in Romans, we're, we're, we're told that in doing so, there, it, it just pushes those people that are in evil into that category of the judgment of God, which nothing on our, on our end could ever come close to a judgment of Almighty God. Like we could, we could hurt somebody, we can, we can, we can, uh, we can uh, torment them, we could even kill their, their physical bodies, but there's nothing that we could ever come close to that would even, even give a semblance of the judgment of an almighty God. And so that's where we say, you know what? In Psalm 73 and Psalm 37, it tells us not to fret ourselves because of evildoers. It tells us not to worry about those who are doing wickedly because at some point in time, God is going to execute perfect justice on those who have committed evil in this world. And so this week, we see after this attack, after this, uh, this, this difficult situation that Jacob and his family go through, after the response of his two sons, which they took justice in their own hands, we, we saw this deceitful covenant they made. All the males are going to be circumcised, so they go through the process. And while they're trying to recover, while they're sore, they go in there and they kill all of the males of that city. They take all the children, all the women, all the goods, all of the things that are valuable, and they take them to themselves. Now we're going to see what they do in response to these actions. And so I want to see what God has for us. Uh, in this. So let's pray and we'll do that. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for, again, what we've experienced. God, I'm, I'm so uh, humbled and uplifted at the same time. Lord, so humbled that we can call on your name. So humbled that we can be in this place in your presence. So humbled uh, that we can call you our God, that we can call you our Savior, our Father. We're so humbled by your grace and your mercy, your love, your sacrifice, the, the resurrection. So humbled by all these things, but at the same time so uplifted 
because of these things. So uplifted because of the joy that comes only from you. Not from our circumstances, not from what we have in this life, but what we get directly from you. God, we're just, we're, we're so thankful. So thankful for uh, the many blessings you pour out in our lives. And I pray that we would uh, seek right now to focus on you, to focus on your word. Lord, as we were going to see this morning, uh, a multitude of thoughts, a multitude of distractions are, are, are likely to flood every single person's mind in this place in this next hour or so. And, and God, help us to set all of those aside and focus on this one thought, your word. Lord, we, uh, we need you now. If there's someone that's lost, that, that's in need of, of salvation, that if, if they left this place, they're not going to heaven when they die. If there's someone like that, I pray that before they leave, they would grab somebody and, t- and, 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 and tell them, say, hey, tell me how to be saved. Tell me how to go to heaven when I die. Lord, help them. Move them. I praise you for that, Lord. Use me now as a vessel. Lord, stir all of our hearts. Those of us who are your children, Lord, stir our hearts with a greater affection for you, with a, a deeper devotion for you. Lord, help us walk out of this place uh, responding the right way, and we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 35. Again, we pick up this story. They just, they just did the attack. They just got all these goods. Jacob just basically told them, what have you done now? You're, you're going to make my, make my name stink among all the inhabitants of the land. You're gonna, you, you, you've brought basically a reproach upon my name. You, what have you guys done and so this is where we, we pick up, verse 1 of chapter 35. And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God and, and, uh, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Now, I want to say this. This is always the call when we have fallen into the wrong state or the wrong spiritual place. This is always the call of the Father Always the call of God when we have fallen to the wrong spiritual state. Arise. Arise. You know, we, we have a choice to either stay down. We have a choice to say, I, I have messed up. And, and in this messed up state, in this fallen place, in this, uh, in this uh, backslidden place, God's grace, God's mercy, God's blood can't touch it. So I'm going to stay here. Or we can reflect on the grace, the mercy, the love, the forgiveness, the blood of Christ. And we can say, by his grace, by his mercy, I hear the call of my father saying, arise. Arise. That's always the call of the father when we're in a fallen state, when we've fallen into the wrong spiritual place. I've shared this point so many times, but I think it's so important to keep before us as a people, as a church. It's so important. Point number one in your notes is this. If you're in the wrong place, the right place is empty. If you're in the wrong place, it's obvious that the right place is empty. I think back to one of the most profound stories in the New Testament um, that illustrates this, for me at least. I mean, I we could use so many of them, but when I think about being in the wrong place and the, wrong, and the right place being empty, one of the greatest illustrations I think of is Peter's denial of Christ, right? I mean, think about that. Think about what he was doing. He was there, but he was not with the Christ that he professed. He had just, Jesus, remember, we, we went through that whole study. Who do you say that I am? 
And, and, and he asked that, and, and, and so he directly asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter professed, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You are Jesus, the anointed Messiah sent from God. You are God himself. Jesus made that profession. He's there. He made that profession. He's there. But he's not with the Christ that saw his life change and saw him change so many others' lives. He's there, but he's not with him. He's there, but he's not with the Christ who is literally suffering and about to die for him. Who, by the way, remember, Peter said that he would actually die for. Remember? If you remember that, remember that point in, in Scripture, G, uh, Peter says this, no, I will die for you. He reminds Peter that, hey, Satan's going to sift you. He, he desires to sift you as wheat. He's there. He's in the vicinity of Christ, but he's not with Christ. You get it? I just wonder how, how many maybe in here are like that. Maybe you're in the vicinity. Maybe, maybe you're there. Maybe you're here, but you're not with him. You're hanging around. You're, 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 you're in the vicinity of, of this close relationship with Christ, you, but you, you've, you've slid back. You've fallen. Maybe it's what we talked about a while ago. Maybe the things of this world has, have captivated your, 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 your affection. Maybe the things of this world have so appealed to your flesh that you said, man, this is what life is about. And so you're in the vicinity, but you're not with him. Because, see, when, when we have the right place with Christ, when we have the right position in our life with Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior, our Lord, the one who we've laid down our life and submitted to him, that one, then we know there's no greater place to be than in a place to even suffer with or suffer for that Lord. Again, who is suffering to set us free of the condemnation that rested on our life. Think about that. There's no greater place to be. There's no greater place for Peter to have been than to be suffering right next to the one that was actually about to set him free for all of eternity. Well, what a greater place could you say? So, well, a better place, well, he wouldn't have to have been suffering. He could have just had his comfortable life and still got eternity. Listen, that's a, that's a, that's a completely fleshly, completely wrong absolutely not spiritual mindset to have this i want this but not that there's what a greater what greater honor what greater privilege what greater joy there would be to be right next to the one who and go through the suffering that he was suffering knowing that you couldn't do anything for him knowing that your suffering wasn't setting him free knowing that what you were going through he was going through and 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 all you had the grip of was the physical sufferings you had no idea what it felt like to have the weight of all the sin of all the world on your life. That type of burden. You could feel the, stri the stripes of leather on your back. You could feel the slap across your face. You could feel the, the beard being pulled out and the thorns on your head and the blood. And, and you could feel all those things. And you could feel the forsaking. And you could look around and you could see the evil in men's eyes. But you could never feel the weight of what your sin was actually being placed on him for and with. What a greater joy to suffer and say, 
I, I at least shared in a, in a fraction of the sufferings of my God, of my Lord, who, who didn't just set me free for a lifetime, but set me free for eternity. Who didn't just give me some cool things in this life, but gave me the gift of eternal life. A greater place would there be, but Peter, again, he wasn't there. Where was he? He was in the vicinity, but the reality was Peter was away. He was denying, and he was cursing. He was in the wrong place, both physically in the wrong place. But we know that his physically wrong place pointed to his spiritually wrong position as well. The reason why Peter wasn't near with Christ, the reason why Peter wasn't suffering with Christ, the reason why Peter was away is because Peter was in the wrong spiritual place. And that's the truth of all of our lives, even today. When we find ourselves disconnected in a way, maybe in the vicinity, it's because there's something wrong spiritually in our life. And we could, we could try to rationalize and, and put on a facade, we could try to do all those things, but if we're in the spiritually wrong place, the same exact thing as Peter. So Peter was just far enough. Peter was just, just, clo I mean, just, sorry, just close enough that they, they knew what was going on with Christ, that they would say, hey, you're one of them that was with him. See, he was, he was in the vicinity. And maybe like us, maybe we show up to church services. Maybe we say that we're here, but maybe we're away. The right place for Peter, for Peter was empty. You remember what happened when Jacob left the land of his father? You remember what happened? The ladder, the dream, the place that God showed up to him, the place that Jacob basically dedicated himself to God, and then we know what happened after that. We've already gone down that road. But that's the place where, where, where God met him, where Jacob said, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you, God. I'm going to, so much so that I'm naming this place Beth-El, the place of God, the house of God, God's place. This is where it's at. This is where I'm met with God. This is where I'm close with God. This is where I commune with God. This is where I've dedicated my life to God. This is it. And I want to say this morning, if you're here and you know that you're in the wrong place, or maybe to say this, going to the wrong places, being devoted to the wrong things, maybe you are in the wrong place both physically and spiritually. And you say, I, I want to go back. I want to go back to the right place. I remember, remember what it, it feels like. I remember what it felt like to, to, to have that communion with God. I remember what it felt like to have that peace. Even though there was crazy things going on in my life, I just had a peace and a joy resting on my life. I remember what it was like to, to, to feel true fellowship and communion with other believers. I remember what it, what it felt like to, to feel like that God was helping me every day, even as hard as life might be. I remember that place. Maybe the, you remember that place right after you got saved and you hadn't been there since. Listen, if you're returning to the right place, you have to go back where you left him when you, when you left for the wrong place. You have to retrace your steps. You know, see, for Jacob, the place, the name was literal, but it wasn't just literal, it was also symbolic. So it was physical and it was spiritual for him both. Guess what, though? 
So often it is for us. Our connection to the Lord, our connection to his people, our connection to his word, our communion, all together, all of it. Usually, we can always trace it back to that departure. Our interaction and prayer fades, and it becomes eventually non-existent. Maybe token prayers at best. Maybe we pray for our food. Maybe we pray at certain times. But we know that at that point that we departed from this closeness with God, this nearness with God, we didn't have that. We didn't, we didn't have the, uh, the, the problem with a, with a prayer life. We were talking to God. We were, we were thanking God. We were praising God. We were, we were talking to God. Our communion in the bread. And when I say that, I'm talking about the word. It fades. It becomes non-existent. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the most communion you have with the Word of God is, 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 on, uh, is in this church or on the radio or, or something like that. That's the closest communion you have with God. Listen, God wants you to get with Him. And He wants to get with you. And He wants to talk with you. And He wants to share with you. And, and the Word that maybe, like, you, like me, if you're like me, you grew up on, He wants to make it new every day. He wants to make it alive every day. Say, so, you know what, I, I've heard these stories, I've read these scriptures, I've memorized them, I know these. Listen, God wants to show you something. It's not a new truth. It, there's not, this, the truth has been revealed, there's not new truth. But he wants, to, he wants to make it vibrant and alive in your life. And maybe he wants to show you something. But oftentimes we, we're near. But we're not close. Our fellowship with the Lord, it grows weak. And of course, as it grows weak with the Lord, it grows weak with his people. And in the context of church, in the context of community, in the context of, of the whole, is where our complete strength is found. It's just the nature, we've already talked about this, it's already the nature, it's the nature of the church. It's the nature of the new covenant, the New Testament. You can look through the new, new Covenant. You can look through the New Testament, which, again, is the same thing. New Covenant, New Testament. It's in Christ's blood. It's the nature of it. He said, y'all. I mean, he didn't say y'all, but I mean, that's the Texas version. I mean, he was talking to the church. He, it, it, it's, a, it's a collective community. But the next thing in the mix, it goes like this. Our prayer becomes non-existent, fade, or fades away, becomes non-existent. Our, our, our communion in, in, in his word with the, the bread of life, it, it fades, it becomes non-existent. Our fellowship with the Lord and his people, it fades and, and, and eventually will become non-existent if it doesn't, if it's not already. And then the next thing in the mix, what is it? Others who struggle. Others who are away. Right? Peter wasn't around the, the, the people at the cross. People, he was around the people who were away from the Lord. He was, a, away, he was around people that didn't have a connection with God. He was, he was with people and connecting with people and, and fellowshipping and communion around fires with people with no intent of, of, of bringing them to Christ who didn't have a walk with the Lord themselves. So for us, the same thing. The enemy... 100%, I've said this before, will make sure that somebody is in your ear, that somebody passes before your eyes, that something on Facebook, something on the radio, something on YouTube, something will come. The enemy will make sure that if you are on 
the, your way from leaving the right place and headed to the wrong place, the enemy will make sure that somebody, some, some way, will come alongside you and feed that departure, encourage that departure. It'll happen. I've seen it happen, sadly, even inside the church. Leaving all the right places and attending the wrong. Again, spiritually speaking and, of course, often physically speaking. When we're in that place, we're not fellowshipping, we're not assembling, we aren't worshiping. We have other things. We attach ourselves to worldly lesser things than to the majestic things of God. The, the eternal, majestic things of God. We, we, we say, you know what, in my life, at this point in time, this is more important to me than the majestic, eternal things of God. And I would, say, I would say for this, the closer and more attached we get to these earthly lesser things, guess what? Our bl the blinders, the scales of our spiritual eyes mar and, and mess up our vision of the brilliance of the majesty of the things of God. The, the, the more we get attached to the things of this world, the more the, the, the cloudy our vision becomes of eternal things. And, 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 and so we, we look at the eternal spiritual things and we, we see them and we say... Eh. It isn't, it's not that big of a deal. It's not, it's not that important. It's not that majestic. It's just worship service. It's just the word of God. It's just people who need the gospel. I mean, it's just, it's just we, we see those things, the, the things of God, and anything has to do with those eternal majestic things that we, by God's grace, are a part of, and we see them, and they just don't have any luster the closer we get to the earthly things. The more involved, the more uh, pulled to the earthly things we are, we don't have that. But the closer we draw to God and, 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 and the closer that we get to him and the more involved and intimate and, 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 and sold out and, and, and all those things that we are to God, the, the more brilliant and magnified those things become in our life. And so it's so true, just as the Bible says this, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. As you get closer to God, the things of God becomes more brilliant, more ma majestic, and, and more important, and more magnified, and, and, and it's what become, becomes of your life. This is what I want to live for. Verse 2, Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress. Hmm. And was with me in the way which I went. I shared this on Facebook last week, and um, and 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 I there was uh, it was on Thursday. On Thursdays, or, or when I try to finish up my um, uh, sermon for Sunday mornings, uh, it doesn't always work like that. It didn't work like that. I mean, it was pretty much, but uh, it lingered into Friday and Saturday uh, this week as well. Um, but it was pretty much wrapped up. And as I was, I, I was just looking at this, this, this message and, and praying about it and, and certain thoughts were coming on mine and, and so this thought came on mine and so I put it on Facebook. And it was this, as Christians, if we show the next generation that God and the things of God are easily dismissed for earthly lesser things, then let us not be surprised when they do the same. If we can exchange, as we just saw last week, if we can exchange the things or two weeks ago, the things of God for lessly earthly things. And we can, we, can, we can say, you know what, 
we don't have, this is not that, it's not, uh, not ever, if we have that for the things of God, as we go to the things of the world, if we exchange the things of God for lesser earthly things, and, and then when, as our kids grow up, they don't want to assemble with the believers, and they don't want to have the word of God in their life, and they don't want to sing songs to God, and they don't want to tell their friends and invite their friends to, to, to they don't want to, uh, to the Lord. They don't want to, to do those things. They want to do worldly things. They want to do earthly things. They want to do what they want to do. They want to live their own life. Let's not be surprised when that happens. If that's the example we are setting for them in their lives. You know why? Because the pull of the flesh is real. And it's difficult. And as they grow and it becomes harder for them, all they need is some excuses and examples. And if as parents, grandparents, we're providing that for them, we shouldn't be surprised when that's what they do. When we're looking at our grown children, and maybe at this station of our life, we're we're devoted to God, and we're sold out to God, and we're, we're, loved, we're in love with God, and we're trying to share our faith, and, and our kids are grown, and they're, and, and they're gone, and, 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 and they are gone. They're away from God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. Not for a guilt trip, but let's not be surprised if that's the example that we set as they were growing up. Man, what, what, what else could we do? What else, if, if that's the case, if, if, if we devote our whole life in sincerity, and I'm not talking about a facade, I'm not talking about religion, I'm not talking about just routine and going through motions, but I'm talking about a sincere walk with the Savior, a sincere devotion to God, a sincere, a sincere holding in high regard the things of God, the things that he's not only commanded us, but he's afforded this great privilege to us to, to do in this life. If we esteem those things in great sincerity, and then our kids, when they're older, they say, I don't want to have anything, then at that point, I think that we could say, Man, I don't know what else I could have done. I prayed. I lived for the Lord. I was sincere. I was devoted. I, I, was, I gave everything. At that point, then I don't think that we could be puzzled or we could feel uh, bad for, for how we raised our kids. But man, if we're going to be honest and examine our lives and say, man, that's me. I exchanged the things of God for the things of this world. I compromised the things of God for the things of this world. I was always seeming to, to, to run here whenever something I liked was going on versus staying true and dedicated and esteeming the things of God because it was real and important to me. If that's the case, then let's not be surprised if our kids grow up and they say, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Or whenever they're teenagers, they say, I don't want to go to church. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to go to Bible. So I don't want to do that. I'd rather go do this or I'd rather go do that. Let's not be surprised. Jacob had fostered not only his son's deceptive ways, as we talked about last week, he not only fostered these deceptive ways in his and his kids that just exacted revenge on, on this whole city, he, he, he showed them. He, he fostered it. He put them in an environment where they embraced the false gods of the world that they lived in. That's what he did. 
He not only said, listen, you, you can deceive as long as it benefits you and it, as long as it protects you. Deceive away. So his, his kids grew up and thought, hey, we can do this. As long as it benefits us, makes our flesh feel good, even though it's not necessarily what God said to do, then we can deceive as long as it benefits us. They learned that. Not only did they learn that, but he put them in an environment. He cultivated this, this lifestyle in, this, in, this, in this, uh, the surrounding environment that his kids would go and interact and learn strange gods, to worship foreign gods, to, 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 to grab hold of idols of this world made with man's hands. That's what Jacob fostered. He put them in that environment. Hey, this is what's important, guys. By the time that you get done with your education, make sure you got this because this is what's important. And so, why would Jacob be surprised whenever he starts saying, hey, we've got to change. We're away from the Lord. And God says, arise, get back to the place that's dedicated, that you dedicated your life to me. Jacob hadn't exalted the Lord. Jacob hadn't fostered an adoration to the Lord and his word, to his way. And so again, his family followed that. I don't know about you, but I love my girls. I'm sure you love your kids. But man, I don't want them to have some phony, superficial, religious facade of an experience when it comes to the things of God. I don't want them to think that the only thing that matters is if you just kind of show up for church every now and then. What a great robbery of their spiritual lives. I want them to know him and to be known of him. I want, I want them to, to walk with him and to enjoy the greatest and the fullest of the great spiritual blessings of God. I want them to have that. And I can't make them do that, but I, I want to try to be sincere in my life. I want to try to live it out. I want to try to, to, to not only teach and preach from this pulpit, but when they go off and when they say certain things or, 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 or they're not treating certain people right or their sister right or whatever, I want to tell them, God's word says this, don't do that. I want it to be real. That it's not just something, I, I want to talk and treat their mother like that and, and, and other people like that. I want them to see that experience. That it's not just, oh, well, well, that is just some way at church and then he's, he's another way everywhere else. I want them to see that there's an authenticity, a sincerity, because it's there. That should be every single one of our lives. And I'm no, no way perfect, and I fall short, and I miss the mark, but I don't want them to just have the idea of what this life is about. It's to kind of get everything you want, do everything you want, and oh, by the way, show up for church every now and then. Be a good person. They're missing it. And I would be the one to blame. Jacob had exalted Jacob. That's the truth. Jacob had made Jacob most important. He had exalted what worked best for him in his eyes. And he was more concerned about what others thought about him than what God thought about him. It's interesting how even today there are those who will excuse a lesser devotion to God with a statement like this. 
Well, I don't care what others think about me because God knows my heart. Think about what I just said. Others will excuse a lesser devotion to God with something like that. I don't care what others think. God knows my heart. I want to say this. That truth of God knowing our hearts should strike a holy reverence in a submission and a devotion to him like no other. The fact that God knows my heart should make me want to be more sincere and more devoted than anything else. We, we kind of think of it as some type of excuse, like, well, God knows my well intent, and he's just going to kind of excuse me and keep showering my life with blessings of comfort and enjoyment all the days of my life because God knows the intent of my heart. He does know the intent of our heart, and that's the scary thing. He knows the very root of our heart, and he knows that even out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He knows that it's from the heart that we make decisions and we do things, and so when we say... God knows my heart, and yet we're less devoted to God, then that's the revelation of what is true in our heart. What a sad indictment we place on our own life when we say, I'm not as devoted to God maybe as I should, but God knows my heart. That's exactly right, he does. And for me, that strikes a, a shuddering reverence in my life. Like, oh my goodness, God knows my heart. I want to draw closer to him. I want to be, I want to be more like him. I, I, I don't, I don't, the God who knows everything, the God sees everything, I don't, I don't want to have this wickedness. The truth of God knowing our hearts should do that. In our day, there are false gods all around us. And know this. In Jacob's day, in this day that we're studying, they didn't have the technology like we have. We know that. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have computer. They didn't have internet at will. They didn't have all those things. So the access that they had versus all that we have concerning false gods and idols, I would say is way less. But it doesn't diminish the reality of the grip that these false idols had on their lives at this point in time. And so point number two, and I'm going to wrap it up, is this. If you're wrapped up with the worldly, you can't be focused on the heavenly. If you're wrapped up with the world, then you can't be focused on the heavenly, right? That, that's what happens. I mean, I've been guilty of it. We're all guilty of it, right? It's just what happens. And there's certain, and to a certain extent, we've talked about this, it's, it's important for us to be able to be focused on certain tasks at hand. Look, I, I don't want, like Brother Jim is a police officer. There are certain times in his job that he, is, he needs to be absolutely laser focused on his training and what he's supposed to be doing, or it could cost him and others their lives, Right? I don't want Brother Jim at that moment that he's got to be focused on that thing right then to be thinking, I wonder what song we should do on Sunday. He needs to have that earthly focus at that point in time. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about uh, there are certain tasks that we are, the jobs we have to, to focus on and, and, and do that. But, but again, the reality is this. We are so easily distracted. So easily distracted. As I said in the very beginning, even in this service, the chances are many of you during this time of this message have been battling with listening and thinking about other things the entire time. Some of you have given in. Some of you had to leave. Some of you had to come out. Somebody had to get on the phone. Some of you had to write things down. Some of you had to... It, 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 just, it, it just is so overwhelming 
And distraction wins in that moment. I read something from several years back that said the New York Times on Sunday contains more information than the average 18th century French nobleman learned in his lifetime. The information in Sunday's New York Times, today, Sundays, contains more information than a noble, French nobleman in the 18th century would ever accumulate in his lifetime. That's how much we live in the age of information, the age of technology, the age of thought and information. We have all these new technologies which are very good at distracting us, it goes on to say, which our human habits have not caught up to. The challenge is that we have not realized the true cost of distraction. They end up, I'm sorry, they use up what is actually a limited supply of attention each day that we have and make us far less effective if we need to go de uh, to do deeper thinking work. It's been said that it's estimated somewhere between 50,000 and 80,000 thoughts that we have a day. It comes into somewhere like 2,100 uh, per hour. So different thoughts. So imagine this. With all of the information that we're putting in our, in our minds, the, the hard thing is to stay focused and keep focused on one thing. With all this, I want to say this. You don't think the enemy doesn't know what he's doing? You don't think the enemy doesn't know what tools he has at his disposal in this 21st century age of information, age of technology? Absolutely the, the enemy knows what he's doing. Absolutely he knows how to make sure to, to hey, look, look, if there's more mega churches than there ever has been at any point in history, and there are actually more church attenders, maybe not as many people of those churches attending church, but more church attenders than there ever has been at any point in history, why then is America facing an impotence in the church of Jesus Christ? I believe part of the source is that the people who do attend church are so wrapped up in the world and so concentrated on those things that it's hard to focus on the heavenly. It's hard to do what Scripture tells us. More people are willing to talk about sports than they are the Savior. More people are willing to talk about the government than they are the gospel. More people are willing to talk about work and weather than actually walking with God. Remember, Jacob had drawn close to God in his desperation. It was part of his call of repentance. God answered me in my, in my distress, it said. But obviously he hadn't been a devoted man of God, a sincere follower of God, and therefore... His family turned to idols. I'm not going to read all these scriptures, but I want to encourage you to look them when you get a chance. In Psalm 96, Psalm 115, Psalm 135, Colossians 3 says this, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And it says this, Set your affection, that word affection means mind, your thoughts. Set your thoughts on things above, not on things on the earth. Because you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Again, my, my concern is that we can all be guilty of being much like Jacob. Pleading for God's help. Pleading for God's rescue. Pleading for God's hit, uh, his fix in our lives. When we're going through dire straits. God, you got to fix this. God, you got to help me. God, you got to deliver me. God, you got to heal this. God, you got to do these things. But as soon as things get smoothed over and worked out in our lives, we turn to lesser earth and idols. The concern is what that does to God, the only God, but also what it does to our kids. 
Does it teach our kids that we only devote ourselves to God wholeheartedly? You only devote yourselves to God. Would you say this to your kid? Listen, sweetie, listen. Only devote yourself to God when things go wrong. Would you say that to them? I would never say that to Avery Addison. I would never say, listen, look, there's a lot of stuff to do in this life, and so what you need to learn early is this. Only wholeheartedly devote yourself to God when you get sick, when you have relationship problems, when you have financial problems. When things start going really bad, that's when you only need to wholly devote yourself to God. And God will rescue you. He'll pull you out. I would never say that to them. I don't think you would either. But if that's how we live, and that's the example they have, what are their chances of first having a real personal relationship with the Lord, and second, of experiencing the power of God on their lives and in their lives? Remember, these that are walking through there, some teenagers sitting in here, they're the next church. What does that look like if that's the example they have before them? If we don't believe our tendency to go after idols and the giving in there too matters, let's be diligent to remember our text this morning. This morning. You're good. I was just trying to let it be awkward. I want to encourage you this morning with these two. Let's make sure that we grab these. Man, if someone says this is life or death for your kid, what would that mean to you? I think it would mean a lot to you. But, but when we say things like this, this is eternal. This is eternity. This is the difference of this life and eternal life. For some reason, I don't think that carries as much weight for some people. And here's the reason why. We're so attached to this temporal world that the scales of the majesty of the things of God have kept us from seeing the brilliance of those things. And so we talk about eternity. We talk about eternal life. We talk about our kids and our grandkids. And we talk about our responsibility and all this. It doesn't really hit home that much. Well, you talk about their health and their life. Man, I don't want my kid to get sick. I don't want my kid to die. I, I don't want that for my kid. That matters a lot to us. But man, what about their eternity? What about their spiritual life? That should mean the most to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this challenging message to me and to this church, Lord. Well, we realize that we have a short amount of time. It's only going to be with us devoting ourselves to you that anything for your kingdom is going to be done. Lord, because none of us are worthy, none of us have any power in of ourselves, and so it's only through us yielding ourselves and submitting ourselves to you. So help us be stirred up this morning. Help us take this message and realize the importance of these points. Lord, that if we're in the wrong place, the right place is empty. Lord, and that we are to never, 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 never hold on to the things of this world versus holding on to you and the things of eternity. Lord, help us to Take this with us and move now in this invitation in Jesus' name.